1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, just an addendum to what I said earlier about the uh, after church fellowship tonight. Bring your camping chairs. Also, if you would, bring a side or a dessert or a side and a dessert <laughs> or sides, plural, and desserts, plural. You say, well, preacher, we don't want to have too much. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. I appreciate the uh, Sunday school message from Dr. Whitlow. I've been, it's been resonating in my heart and mind. It, 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 it's, it's such a simple thought, but if we're going to be the evangelists that we ought to be, um, we've got to talk to men about God, but before that, we've got to talk to God about men. And I endeavor to have a meaningful prayer life, but I'll tell you, when it comes to my soul winning, that aspect of it is lacking. I've been under conviction about that all morning, all morning. How hard am I praying and how frequently and how fervently am I praying for those I'm trying to reach? Rather than just the blanket, Lord bless the, help the unsaved people to get saved. No, 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 more than that, more than that. But uh, thank you for being used of the Lord. I needed that, brother. I needed it. We've been doing a series on Sunday morning. Five times in the Bible you see the phrase, be not deceived, be not deceived. And we began with the first message, be not deceived regarding our tendency. And the message was called The Deceptive Path to Idolatry. We see that in Deuteronomy 11, 11, 16. Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. It's so easy to become an idolater. It's so easy. Then the second week, we looked at Luke chapter 21, and we saw that we shouldn't be deceived regarding Christ's true identity. Be not he said, take heed that you be not deceived. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them. We need to enthrone the only Christ in our life. The only Christ. You know. Then last week, we, we looked at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we were warned not to be deceived regarding our transformation, living the transformed life. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Then, Lord willing, next week, the final message in the series, the familiar verse in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, don't be deceived regarding God's tolerance. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. This week, with the Lord's help, we want to be cautioned not to be deceived regarding our testimony. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 33. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Evil communications corrupt good manners. 
Can I give you just a quick background to 1 Corinthians 15? It's one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. I love 1 Corinthians 15. I don't know of any one chapter in the Bible that more broadly deals with the subject of the resurrection of Christ than does 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I love it. I love this chapter. Now, um, first of all, in, in the first four verses, you have what we're going to call the evangel in summary. Now, what in the world am I saying? Evangel is a fancy word for the gospel. And he summarizes the gospel in the first four verses of 1 Corinthians 15 and we would do well to be reminded of that look at verse number one of first corinthians chapter 15 moreover brethren i declare unto you the gospel which i preached unto you which also ye have received and wherein ye stand by which also ye are saved if ye keep in memory what i preached unto you unless ye have believed in vain so paul in verses three and four is going to give us the gospel in summary the evangel in summary here it is you ready for i delivered unto you first of all that which i also received how that christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures we cannot overstate how important it is that we understand the gospel of jesus christ it is not church membership it is not baptism it is not living to a certain standard or pursuing holiness it's not in how you dress it's not in how you talk or how you walk all of those things are important all of those things play a role in our development for Christ but when it comes to coming to know Christ as your personal savior it is no more and no less than the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins that is the evangel the gospel in summary then in verses 5 through 7 we see the eyewitnesses of the savior he gives us a list of people that saw Jesus the resurrected Christ after his death, burial, and resurrection. If you do the math, no less, no less than 514 people saw Jesus after he was resurrected. No less than 514. Now, in American jurisprudence, how many witnesses do you need to convict somebody? One and then a corroborating witness. By the way, that's biblical. Out of the mouths of two or three witnesses shall a thing be established. The Bible is all through our law system. It's all through it we'd be helped if we went back to it <laughs> so if, if two witnesses are enough to make a thing so what does 514 witnesses do for us I, I take that to mean Jesus is alive just like he said he'd be you know all right so and then verses 8 through 11 we see the engagement of Saul I don't mean he was getting married I mean he got engaged Christ engaged with him militarily he arrested him on the road to Damascus. And in verses 8 through 11, he talks about him being called into his apostleship. Then, verses 12 through 23 is the essential of salvation. And what do I mean by that? There is something that is absolutely indispensable if salvation is to work, and that's that Jesus must have resurrected. Right. You cannot get to heaven with an unresurrected Christ. You just can't. You just can't. In fact, if Christ didn't rise again, there is no heaven to get to. There's no heaven to get to. The resurrection cannot be overstated. Now, I'm all for people telling other people that Jesus died for their sins, and that is absolutely accurate, and we need to know that. But please don't leave the second half of that off. He's, he's alive today. He, he died, and then he was resurrected. Because without that, you don't have salvation. But then we get, we get to these, uh, these verses 24 through 28, the exaltation of our sovereign. Everything gets put under his feet everything he's going to rule for a thousand years from jerusalem as the as from the throne of david and then after a thousand years once once satan has been released from his imprisonment satan is going to lead a rebellion 
Can you imagine that? After a thousand years of perfect, just rain, there are going to be people dissatisfied with that. And they're going to follow the devil's impulse, and they're going to rise up against Christ, and he's going to put it, put it all down again. He's already put the Antichrist and the, and the false prophet in hell. Now he's going to put Satan himself in hell. And all of them are going to the lake of fire. He's going to put it all under his feet, every bit of it. By the way, it's just a formality, really, because what did Jesus say after his resurrection? He said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. This is just a formality, but everybody's going to know it. Everybody's going to know it. And then you know what he's going to do? He's going to take all that authority, and he's going to resubmit it right back to the Father. The Bible uses the term that all might be all in all. It all comes full circle right back to where it started right back to where it started, the exaltation of our sovereign. Now, that's, our, that's our, so far what we've got in 1 Corinthians 15. In verses 29 through 34, it almost seems like Paul takes a little bit of an aside and reprimands the Corinthians for their failing testimony. And what was really pushing their failing testimony is they were apparently starting to adopt some wrong views about the resurrection, most notably that, that there isn't one. That wasn't a new thought, by the way. The Sadducees have been pushing that for a whole long time. There is no resurrection. There aren't angels. There isn't anything supernatural. What a terrible way to live. I would not want to live in an existence where there was no supernatural. You know? What happens when you die? Nothing. You're just dead. Well, that's something to look forward to, isn't it? No, I believe we live in a supernatural world. I serve a supernatural God. And here's the crazy thing. The Holy Spirit lives in me, which makes things that I can see do happen in my own life supernatural. Religion's just your crutch. Well, then let me limp on. Because I like it. I like it. The Corinthians have gotten some wrong views, and it has directly affected and impacted their testimony. They postulated that there was no true resurrection, and thus they need not live as though there were. By the way, here's a little side note. How many of us sometimes find ourselves living as as though there is no resurrection? We would never say it, but if we take an honest look at the way we live and the things we allow in our lives or the things we don't allow in our lives, we live as though there isn't a time of ultimate accountability, a time in which we will be with the Savior and we will answer for how we conducted ourselves. It's a healthy warning for us. Now, now, here's, here's what I'm coming down to. The, 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 this isn't the so what, but this is what we want to work off of this morning. If you want to have the testimony that you should have, if you want to have the impact in this world that you ought to have, if you want people to see Christ active in your life, you must live your life. I must live my life in constant view of the resurrection. We, we, we say this every, every Easter, every, every Resurrection Sunday. We say this. Now listen, this, we, we don't just celebrate this today. We celebrate it every Sunday and yay, every day. And so we should. But what do we tend to think of? We, we think of the resurrection as this one-off event that happened and we're so glad that it did, but it happened somewhere back there and that's it. No, the resurrection of Jesus Christ has eternal reverberating effects in our lives and in the lives of those around us. It doesn't stop. Heaven is eternal because Jesus resurrected. Without the resurrection, we got nothing. 
But sometimes we tend to want to live our Christian life as though the resurrection was some far distant past event. Oh, no, we've got to live in light of the resurrection today or our testimonies just will not be what they ought to be. So if we were going to title the message this morning, we'd title it this, Living in Light of the Resurrection. Living in Light of the Resurrection. Father, would you help me this morning as I preach this? I sure do need your help. I need your touch. I can't do this without you, Lord. Can't do it. I need you to touch our hearts in the way that only you can. As best I know, Lord, I'm right with you in this moment. There's something in my life that needs to be corrected. If you'll reveal it to me, I'll make it right. I want to be able to be used of you, Lord. I want to be a help to your people. I want to rightly divide your word of truth. Lord, if there's somebody here today that's never trusted Christ, I sure would love for them to come to Christ today. I'd love to see them be saved. And I pray that Christians would be helped. Lord, speak to us and help us and may Christ be magnified and glorified. Thank you for our resurrected Savior. For it's in his name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going we're gonna to push off on verse 29 here, and we're going to see something about living in light of the resurrection. The, the first thing that Paul brings to our attention is the subject of folly. The subject of folly. Would, would you look at verse number 29? else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead if the dead rise not at all why are they then baptized for the dead and why stand we in jeopardy every hour i protest by your rejoicing which i have in christ jesus our lord i die daily if after the manner of men i have fought with beasts at ephesus what advantage is it me If the dead rise not, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Now, we're going to get into this in more detail, but basically here's what Paul is saying. If there is no resurrection, then everything that we go through, everything that we suffer, everything that we face, it's just folly that we go through it. If there's no resurrection, there's no point. There's no point. First of all, he talks about the folly of baptism, a resurrectionless baptism, verse 29. Now, of course, of course, the next sermon in this series would lead us to one of the most difficult verses in all of Scripture to to flesh out. And I went to all the bigwigs, all the guys that write all the books, and none of them have have an answer for me. None of them. So we'll see what happens. Verse 29, else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? So first of all, he's talking about the folly of a resurrectionless baptism. Now there's three plausible, plausible interpretations of this verse. There might be more, but I've narrowed it down to three. Could it be that Paul is speaking out against some who have taken up the pagan practice of being baptized for their dead loved ones? That is possible. It is plausible. I I admit I don't think that's what he's saying here. But let's touch on that for a second. Because there are even some quote-unquote Christian religions that allow for people to be baptized by proxy for someone else. Let's make this very, very clear. Once someone has slipped into eternity, there is nothing you can do for them indulgences won't get it done baptism for the dead won't get it done so neither rome nor salt lake city can offer you any help whatsoever 
Okay? That's why it's so important that we reach people now while they're alive. Because once they're gone, they're gone. All hope is gone. And that, that's a very sobering thought. But there was, there was some pagan practice of baptizing for the dead that has slipped into the church. And, and, and maybe he's reprimanding for that. But the Bible doesn't say anything else about that, at least not here. And, and so I, I just don't think that's, that's it. Here's another one. It could be that the phrase baptized for the dead refers to Christians who take up the danger of identifying through baptism only to die anyway. You're a dead man walking if you get baptized. So if you're doing that without there being a resurrection, why are you doing that? That's a little more plausible to me. Or could he, number three, be saying, and we're verse number 29, could he be saying, else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead the dead meaning Christ who never rose again. If he didn't rise again, he's just dead. Now, whichever way you, you extrapolate this verse, here's the point. We, all, we come to the same point. If there's no resurrection, then there's no point in being baptized and identifying with Christ and going through the dangers that comes with that. There's no point. It's folly. It's folly. But not just the folly of baptism, there's also the folly of buffeting. That doesn't say buffeting. Buffeting. Buffeting means to be beat upon. Look at what he says in verse number 30. And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? Hey, this steady danger that we're under is folly. It's folly. Verse 31. Um, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I die daily. Hey, this steady danger that we're under is folly, but also this self-denial is, is folly too. If Jesus didn't resurrect, if there is no resurrection, why, why are we denying ourselves? Why are we denying ourselves? And then verse 32, the savage droves. The savage droves. If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantageth me if the dead rise not? Now, the Bible does not record Paul ever being thrown to the beasts per se. It could very well be talking about the Ephesian mob that he faced. What was that, Acts 19, I think? The Ephesian mob that he faced, that they acted like animals. He could be talking about that. Is it possible that at some point in his persecution that he was thrown to beasts? That is possible. But the point is, it was a mob of something. It was a savage drove of people or animals or something and what he's saying is listen if there's no resurrection then, then it's folly for us to put ourselves in steady danger for it to have self-denial to deal with the savage droves we could live a lot easier if there's no resurrection and then he sums up he sums up what he's saying at the end of that verse verse 32 let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die he hearkens back to Isaiah 22, verse 12. And in that day, the Lord God of hosts called to weeping and to mourning and to baldness and to girdling with sackcloth. And behold, joy and gladness, slaying oxen and killing sheep, eating flesh and drinking wine. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we shall die. And there's a whole lot of Christians out there that have adopted this idea that, listen, I can't change what's going to happen. I might as well have fun. I might as well enjoy myself. Eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we're just dead. Paul says, if there's no resurrection, that's an accurate viewpoint. But there is. There is. And embracing this as being folly has, has brought about a terrible fruit. 
in your lives. Hey, Corinthians, you've seen this as folly, and now we see the fruit. Look at verse 33. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. What does evil communications corrupt good manners mean? The word communication has the idea of companionship. So what's he saying? You ready? You're starting with wrong associations. You're, You're linked up with the wrong people. And what that leads to is wrong actions. Hey, Corinthians, you've linked up with the wrong people. They've they've gotten you to start thinking there's no resurrection. It's affected your testimony. We're seeing the fruit. Your wrong associations have now become wrong actions. We tell this to the kids all the time in church and in school. You are or soon will become those with whom you associate. Show me your friends. I'll show you your future. Could we, put it, could we put it another way? This is for all of us. Your company will determine your conduct. You hang around with a godless crowd, guess what's going to happen? Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to reach people. I'm not, I, listen, I believe in separation, but I do not believe in isolation. We've got to reach people. But we can't live like the world. We've got to live as God would have us to live that we might reach the world but if you start settling in with the wrong associations it will lead to wrong actions and this is true and and and, you know we look at the the extreme but how about attitudes you hang around with people with bad attitudes what ends up happening you hang around with complainers what ends up happening Uh, you hang around with people that are always negative what ends up happening i have never ever ever seen anybody change a your Winnie the Pooh can bounce by Eeyore and be happy and a big smackerel of honey and everything else he likes, and Eeyore is still Eeyore. One will change him. Young ladies, let me tell you something. You date some boy, you're not going to change him, so you better find him good to start off with. Let Let me back up there. Don't find him. God's got him. Don't look for the right one. Be the right one. God will send the right one. Hmm. That was free. You see, we, we saw them dealing with something as folly, and that yielded fruit. So we got a problem. We got a problem. I've let some wrong associations into my life, and my testimony is compromised, and now my actions aren't what they should be. So here's the next question How in the world do we fix it? How do we fix it? Verse 34. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. First thing is, be revived. Awake to righteousness. There's a couple things to draw from this. First of all, I don't know many people that go to sleep immediately. Every once in a while, if you're exceedingly tired, it can happen. But most people kind of drift into sleep, don't they? You know, it's always funny to me. When I come upstairs, I almost always go to bed after my wife. And I'll come upstairs, and sometimes 
she'll lay there and she's asleep with a book on her face or some game she was playing and it's still going on her shoulder and she's out. She drifted. She drifted. See, she left. I can talk about her. I don't I don't blame her for leaving. She wrote this message so she knows what I'm going to preach. <laughs> but... <laughs> But um, most people drift. And sometimes you don't realize you're drifting. Sometimes you're driving and you don't realize you are compromised. You know, it's, it's, it's a slow process. Hey, Christians, I don't know of many people that just one day wake up and decide, you know what, I'm just going down the wrong road in life. I'm just going to do it. No, they drift. And before long, they're asleep. I don't know about you, but some people can get so asleep, they don't need to be woke up. They need to be revived. They need to be resuscitated, almost resurrected. A week from tomorrow, you're going to see a lot of kids going through that. They've gotten used to sleeping in, and now all of a sudden, school starts at 8.30. There's going to need to be an act of God whereby resurrections are taking place in houses all over Wythe County. And some of us, if we're not careful... We get so, so sleepy. And righteousness does not have its place in our life, and we need to be revived. We don't need to just stir a little bit. Asher is the king of that. Asher can stir, he can sit up, he can look at you and speak in full sentences, and then gone again. <laughs> and there's some Christians that usually about once every Sunday, they, they wake up enough, they stir enough, come to church, speak in complete sentences, and as soon as church is over, they're out again. He says, awake! <laughs> gotcha. Under righteousness. Be revived. We sang about it. Who's the only one that can revive us? Oh, Holy Ghost. Revival comes from thee. You can't do it yourself. You need the Holy Ghost of God to get it done. Number two, be repentant. Awake to righteousness and sin not. The word confess in 1 John 1, 9 literally means to agree with God. God, I'm exactly what your word says I am, and my sin is exactly what it says it is. I agree with you. It's not just, well, I got caught, Lord, I messed up. No, Lord, if your word says this is wrong, it's wrong, and not only is it wrong, it's wicked, and I am what you say I am, God, and I need help, and I need to turn from this, God. I don't want to live in it. I don't want to have it. I don't want this sin. I'm awake. I'm revived, and now, Lord, with your help, I repent. And then thirdly, be rebooted. Now, stay with me on this one. Awake to righteousness and sin not. Now, watch this. For some have have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. The word shame is interesting because there's a couple different uses for the word shame. And sometimes shame refers to when you just, you just get caught up in sin and, you know, and it, it's, you see it for what it is and you're so sorry and God forgive me and you get it right, but there, there's still that shame involved. That's not this shame. 
This shame is the result of someone who has willfully allowed themselves to be ignorant. They have decided this is the direction I want to go. I'm going to stay in this. I, I'm not going to think like I used to think anymore. My thinking is now geared towards what I want to do. And what God is saying is, you need to reboot your minds and you need to think like you used to. Because what do you do when you reboot a computer? You send it back to its factory resetting. See? And sometimes we've allowed so much of the world's garbage to influence our thinking that we get so comfortable in it that we don't really want to change our thinking because that's inconvenient. And what he's telling the Corinthians is, you've listened to these people who don't even know the Lord. And now it has so affected your thinking that you are willfully ignorant. That these, these are the Christians that say, well, because of grace, I can just do whatever I want to. You are willfully ignorant because that's not what the Bible teaches. You know, we need a reboot. We need a reboot. So that brings us to the so what. Okay, Andy. I'm not to be deceived regarding my testimony. My testimony has been compromised. How is your testimony, friend? I asked myself the same question. I was having a conversation with somebody just the other day. When, when I preach, I don't do it from a place of moral authority. I need this message as much or more as any of you do. But I'm going to ask you, because God's already been wolfing me. So I'm going to deflect a little bit. How's your testimony? What do your coworkers think of you? Your walk with God. Your neighbors. Here's one. What about your family? Brother Whitlow knows this. One of the greatest dangers for any preacher is for his kids to see a man who's different at home than he is right here. And that's why the world is littered with preacher's kids. They want nothing to do with the faith of their fathers because of the hypocrisy. How is my testimony to my kids? One day, if Jesus doesn't come back first, I'll be stretched out in a box. Hopefully not in here. I hope it's in a new auditorium. I'm ready to go, just not necessarily on the next load. All right? There's nothing that would be more pleasing to me, well, one thing, for Christ to say, well done, good and faithful servant, but for my kids to be able to stand there as people come by and greet them to be able to say, my dad lived what he preached. He's the man you thought he was. How's your testimony? How's your testimony with those who matter? Well, who matters, Andy? Everybody. Everybody. This may telegraph a little bit of what we're going to talk about tonight, but if the prisoners look out their window and see Dr. Whitlow in the parking lot cracking open a cold one, is that possibly going to influence his ability to minister to them? Yep. I don't mean cheer wine either. How's your testimony? 
And then the question we ask is, is my testimony reflective of living in light of the resurrection? I serve a resurrected Christ, which means it's not folly. It's not folly. I do identify with him. That's not folly. I am willing to be buffeted for him. That's not folly. What's the fruit of your testimony? Are your actions not what they should be? Look to your associations. If your conduct's not what it should be, look to your company. And are you ready to fix it? Right now, right now, there's somebody, whether they're in here watching online, there's somebody that needs to ask God, Lord, I need you to revive me. I need to repent. And my thinking needs to be rebooted. Because then and only then will my testimony be what it ought to be as I am living in light of the resurrection.